Welcome to the Rainbow Room. Our podcast about writing, representation, and gay stuff. This is our season finale, Ryan O'Connell, part two. This episode is marked as explicit. At this point, we watch the Queer as Folk reboot and read just by looking at him. In Queer as Folk, Brody, a hot, self-centered, gay med school dropout, comes home to New Orleans, where he has burned bridges with his ex, Noah. He goes to a queer club with his good friends Ruthie, a trans teacher, and Daddyus, a fun party animal who is secretly sleeping with Noah. There, they meet Marvin, a bossy barfly who uses a wheelchair. That night, a mass shooter fires into the crowd of the club, injuring Brody and killing Daddyus. In the aftermath, Brody's brother Julian, played by today's guest Ryan O'Connell, helps convince Noah to talk to Brody, and all three of them end up moving in with Noah, who hopes the company will help him cope with the loss of Daddyus. Together, they start hosting parties at the house called Ghost Fag, and one night make it a sex party dedicated to disabled people called Fuck Disabled People. They find the parties more healing than the performative vigils hosted by JCJ, an influencer capitalizing on the event to build his brand. Marvin starts dating a sex worker he has been hiring. Ruthie is caught on camera at the party with her students. Noah starts secretly dating Julian, and girl, that's only the half of it. The drama unfolds. And just by looking at him, Elliot is a Hollywood writer with mild cerebral palsy and a horrible boss, Ethan, who is older, gay, problematic, and fickle. Elliot has an attractive and attentive boyfriend, Gus, who he drinks a bottle of wine with every night. Bored with his relationship for reasons he can't put a finger on, he secretly hires a sex worker, River, which he justifies as not really cheating because the boundaries are so clear. The one night with River turns into several. He confides in the situation to his dad, who tells him he shouldn't do this to his boyfriend. Elliot finds himself taking a more critical look at his relationship to alcohol, his disability, and his boyfriend as he navigates his secret affair and his toxic work environment. Hello! Hi. We're back. Hey. We successfully uh, read all of Just By Looking at Him and watched all of Queer's Folk Reboot <laughs> together. That's it was a lovely so, time. That's how we're done it. Oh my god, wow, we love it. Are you guys sick of my ass yet? <laughs> <laughs> I, it is so funny. I have seen you naked a lot now. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Oh my god, I'm so glad that's immortalized. I was going to the gym so much when we were filming and I was hey. like, god, I was like, okay, good. I was like, let's fucking, let's preserve this in amber you know what I mean yeah if you're gonna get it get it now honey get those cameras yeah, I, I was I was seriously always like um I'll be yeah I don't, I don't mind I'll be nude Literally, <laughs> 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 that was my whole vibe because it was like in special like I was naked for the work like I was like I didn't like being naked but I was like it's important to highlight bodies like mine and, oh wow interesting well and then this one I was like no I just like want to be hot and like I'm in great shape so like let's show it you know what I mean <laughs> you're like like there, Julian doesn't have a nude scene in this. He's like, he does now. Yeah, I know. I'm like, weird. I'm like, can he just be in his underwear for this? Like, why is he wearing clothes? I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, I, I can't wait to watch this when I'm older and be like, oh my God, like, yikes. Like, <laughs> yeah, just in general, out of Brown, know, it's been so funny, like, studying to like have you on. I felt like some like creepy ex boyfriend stalker. <laughs> oh, that's good. I know. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, a creepy ex boyfriend stalker vibe is really welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so your work is very sexual. There's lots of sex in, yes. in everything. And uh, certainly in Queer's Folk Reboot and definitely in just by looking at him. But what I love about it in both is that like it sometimes sometimes I'll see sex in a series and I'll be like, oh, they put this in here for the wow factor to get the views, to get the ratings yeah. or whatever. Like they felt like they needed this. But your stories, I feel like the sex is such an important aspect of it. And it's like you couldn't really tell the same story if you weren't talking about the sex. No. And I think it's so funny because I think 
people, the tone of it, I think it's confusing for people because I feel like it can have such a sweet, optimistic tone, especially special, which there was such an undercurrent of sweetness on that show. It was like almost like, I wouldn't say it's giving network because I want to drag my own sensibility, but like there was definitely a, a sunny optimism to the show. And then it was like, wow, like wild, realistic anal sex scenes thrown in there. Like, <laughs> And I think people were like, oh, because usually I feel like when you see sex like that, it's like in a hardcore drama or it's like, you know, it's like serious prestige TV or whatever. You know what I mean? And I, I just, you know, when we initially, people were bidding on the show, like to produce it, like back this before everyone, we went to networks and everyone passed. Um, there was a few bidders for producers and I went with Jim. But anyway, my, my agents were like, we're going to go to network because in 2015, networks were still really meaningful and that's where all the money is and da, da, da. And I was like, oh no, I'm not going to networks. And they were like, they looked at me like I was insane. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is not a network show. I want to show this disabled person have sex. Like sex is an important part of a story. I feel like as a disabled person, like I was castrated by society at birth. My whole life I've been searching for my dick to put it back on my body. Like it was very, very important that we don't minimize the sex or remove it. And I remember they were so stunned because here I was like a kind of a lowly story editor who was in this bidding war. And like I had the audacity to like kind of put my foot down and yes, say, Yes, oh, let's go. I know. Oh, you're such a they, bold bitch. <laughs> they were, well, you know, it's funny. Like I wasn't like, that took a lot of courage for me to say. Like I was like, but, like that was like not easy because I, I felt like my agents at the time were like steamrolling me. And like, they were like, you're going to network. Like they were trying to like essentially me to do it and I was just like no because I just knew that sex gay sex is like my muse I'm very inspired by it and I feel like partially it's because it's not really seen or depicted in an honest way it's either heavily eroticized like in a porno or it's removed entirely and that really really frustrates me and I think when I saw girls it like really revolutionized me and I was like oh I want to do what girls did for straight sex I wanted to do it for gay sex so I'm very very inspired by gay sex and like you know it's funny like I, I wrote special and I and I had to not think about how I was going to have to act out these scenes so if I did I think I would have gotten too freaked out I just had to kind of like compartmentalize container store it and doing the sex scenes like were, like especially on special I mean they're never fun but on special they really weren't fun because I just didn't really like my body TBQH but I knew that it was hashtag important and I knew that that it was about serving the work you know it wasn't about my own vanity I had to divorce myself from my own vanity and be like no, no no this is important his body is important it's important to see bodies like mine that have scars that are not like they don't have like, I didn't have abs you know I still don't have abs I <laughs> lot I'm talking about like, in the past tense so yeah so it was really really important but there weren't easy scenes to shoot my body when I was in special was like I was poisoning it with a bottle of wine every night. I was self-destructive. It was like my body represented a lot of damage and pain. I wasn't treating it with care. You know what I mean? I was like trying to go to the gym for penance, but like I still had a really unhealthy relationship to it. Whereas like when I filmed Queer Folk, I had been sober for like a year and a half. Like I had just felt very like in control of my body and like very like proud of my body. Um, I mean, I just really underwent like a physical transformation and I, it was really nice. It was really nice to like because like I look at like when when I was in my 20s I was celibate for a long long time and I don't regret anything in life because like what's the point but if I had to regret one thing I would have been like shaking 24 year old me and would have been like get a dick in your ass ASAP because you're gonna have reverberations of this into your 30s 
And like, it's not that deep and like, it's not that hard. You can walk out that door and have sex with literally like whoever and you just need to do it and not be so scared of it. And so I look back at pictures of myself back then where I truly thought I was like gay Grendel and I'm like, oh, oh my God, I was so cute. And I did not know, I, I did not know. And so like, I feel like being 35 now, I, I just like really think it's important to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, know? And it's, it's so sad that like you had that perception um especially because like you are very attractive and it's probably is like pretty important for like hopefully other people see this and like even disabilities aside just like kind of like showcasing gay sex and also like talking about it in a way that it's like it's important to show that it's not always you're not a porn star it's not going to be like oh it's easy and you never have any doubts because like with men like i feel like we've all been ruined by porn and i feel like especially with like gay men like we're supposed to perform at this porn star level and we're supposed to fuck like rabbits and i feel like you know as someone who hooks up with men like it's a lot of things and sometimes it can be really hot and porny and then sometimes the dicks don't work and sometimes people are shy and sometimes it's clunky donkeys sometimes there's no chemistry even though you thought you could have sworn they would be and it's like lol like how did i misjudge that Like, there's so much going on in sex that, like, is so fascinating to me. But, like, what I also love about it is that it's very, very vulnerable. And I like the way, in my experience, the way that men have showed up for each other during sex. And, like, how I personally have had very positive experiences. Like, and, yeah, I just feel like it it runs the gamut. Like, I feel like having sex is, like, experiencing all the colors of the emotional rainbow in one single act. And I just think it's so fun. And it's such a rich area to explore yeah and it's uh, yeah there's almost like it's radical in its existence of itself too just like showing it on the screen like that and just like again being being an example right like hopefully someone else with a disability sees this and is like oh okay i can have good great sex too yeah exactly yeah totally yeah i mean i think performance anxiety is such a real thing especially when you're disabled being like can i hack it in the bedroom and you know i've had a boyfriend for the past seven and a half years so i've been okay brag well i mean but it's like but, but what what I mean to say is like it's just so funny that those insecurities can still live inside me even though I'm like happily partnered up and you know and we're open like it's actually very interesting like filming Queer as Folk really like cracked me open I really think like the thing I like about acting is I think it really forces you to take a long hard look at yourself and like plunge deep as cliche as that is and like it always is followed by some kind of monumental change with me and when I was shooting Queer Folk I was living in New Orleans I was apart from my boyfriend he was here in LA and you know my whole life I had been so terrified of rejection that was my worst fear is that I would make a move on somebody and they would like push me away and it would kind of confirm every bad feeling I've ever had about myself you know I'm disabled like why would I think I could hook up with that guy et cetera et cetera et cetera this This kept me so frozen for so long. And something flipped when I was shooting Cruise Folk, where I was like, oh, if someone doesn't want to fuck me, it's not that deep. Just like when I don't want to fuck someone, it's not that deep. And when someone doesn't want to fuck you, it's not like an indictment on you as a person, on your worthiness as a person, as as, you know, in your in terms of your sexual viability. Like it's just like they don't want to fuck you. Like life moves on. Like it's not like I kept saying it's not that deep because it really wasn't. And once I started actually really believing that, I had such a fun little come spring up when I was filming there. And like, I had such a fun time hooking up with boys and like really just like sowing my wild oats. And it was so empowering. And I and I thought to myself, I was like, it's such a shame that people's most promiscuous periods 
often coincide in like their 20s where it's like they're the most self-loathing like it's like it's like it's so unfortunate that like that sexual exploration is usually married to some sort of self-loathing when you're young because having it in your mid-30s is like truly chef's kiss because like you like yourself you like your body you know what you stand for you know what you like, or maybe you don't, and you're down to explore it. Like, it's just like, you have such a stronger sense of self and it makes like sleeping with other people so much more fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> what I really love about the way in just by looking at him and the way that you write sex, well, I love the inner monologue you have because mm. it's like your writer brain, silly brain, goofy brain doesn't turn off when you're doing this intimate thing. And it's one of those things where like, God, if they could hear what he was saying right now, it'd be weird. I have to ask, have you ever done it? Have you done improv? No, no. Okay. First of all, I think you probably be fantastic at it and i would well, love to see are always like you should do stand-up and improv and i'm like it feels like a threat i'm like Stop. very different sure do both but I'm like, like, I'm like not equate them. i could do improv i mean i improv on shows all the time also just like the fact that you practically improvise this book means you'd probably be fantastic at long-form improv like doing a whole play i digress uh, the way like you describe your brain during these romantic situations reminds me of me and all my improv friends. Like I feel like if you're a comedian and improviser, you will relate to that. Just like the inner voice of this character. Totally. I mean, it's so yeah, of course, because sex is so wild and crazy, and it brings up so many feelings and so many emotions, and it's also just very funny and weird. And people are very funny and weird, and especially if you're having sex with a stranger, which is just like its own exploratory fun bag of tricks. You know what I mean? What's really interesting is I've noticed in in special, in Queer as Folk, in Just By Looking at Them, they all have sex workers in it. And like they yeah. play a pretty pivotal role in the story. Yeah. It's, uh, I was wondering, like, is there a reason for that? Uh, I yeah. was just very intrigued by that. No. So, okay. So I guess this is like an important delineation to make because I've never had hired a sex worker to like have sex with me. But what I have done is hired a sex worker to like give me like an erotic massage, you know, like on Rent Masseur or Masseur Finder and stuff like that. I was really into that because I felt like especially when I was in the beginning of my relationship because like we weren't really open or it was kind of it was a, a nice way to test the waters you know what I mean and to me it was a great way to explore without fear of rejection again it all goes back to fear of rejection so like I could never go up to a guy at a bar but if I pay someone to give me a massage and then give me a happy ending like I know how that's going to end and like there's no surprises like I know I'll be accepted for how I am like he won't be judging me or if he's doing it he'll do it silently whatever so it actually was very empowering and I had such great respect for sex workers and I felt like you know they carry they have to do a lot of emotional labor and they have to like really show up for you and like make you feel supported and like make you feel safe and make you feel sexy and it's all this stuff and it's really remarkable how they just do it and like they're really good at it and I just I just I don't know I have such profound respect for them in that profession and I feel like it never really gets the spotlight it deserves and so I'm very 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 pro-sex work it, it has kind of been a muse of mine I feel lucky to be in a position where I can kind of um normalize it and humanize it a lot of people use them it's so interesting it's like I think there's this sort of like idea that like if you're using a sex worker it's because you're closeted and straight or maybe you're older and you, you know whatever whatever you're not as desirable and you have to pay for it in order to get laid etc etc there's the, all these sort of misconceptions where it's like you know in terms of like the, what I've explored which is like the erotic massage component like a lot of my friends have uh, do it it's actually in the book this idea that like gay men I think because we all grew up 
pretty closeted and we understood how to be secretive and kind of live a double life, I feel like that still hangs on a little bit. Like it sticks to us like glue. So there's this passage in the book where like I talk about how fascinated I am by how gay people do sex because it's like there still is this like undercurrent of like secret sexual behavior that is like kind of unnecessarily secret. Like it doesn't need to be a secret. It's not like we're, you know, I mean, we're out, we're proud. Some of us are prouder than others. Uh, and but it's like muscle memory and I also think that there's sort of like we get off on it like I it's funny I went to this place Century Day and Night Spa which is this famous gay cruising spa in LA for the first time because my boyfriend had gone and like really loved it and was like you should go and a friend a few of our friends had been going and so I went and you know ultimately it wasn't for me I like I'm kind of like let's I like to make out I like like I like a little bit I need some build, honey. I need some build up. I need some like lube. You know what I mean? I I just I I personally didn't find the whole like going straight into it like that appealing. So ultimately, it wasn't for me. But I but I loved going there because it felt like reading one of our queer history books where I was like, <laughs> oh my god, you know what I mean? <laughs> where it was like it was like I was seeing like these mating rituals of gay men that has been around that have been around forever. Like cruising is like fucking first draft queer behavior. Like it's incredible, and it's like it hasn't died. Even even in the you know age of apps and this and that like the people still want to go to a fucking steam room and get jerked off by a stranger and i fucking love that like i think that's so chic and so cool again ultimately wasn't for me also i got recognized by like 40 people there so like i feel like i was just about to ask i cannot imagine going yeah, to a steam room turning the corner and seeing ryan o'connell i'd be like it's it's a little yeah that's look like trust me my life is exactly the same it's not like like i'm like fame has changed me like no no not like it's the same wherever i go however that is the one time where i've been like oh this is like i don't think i can do it it's different because i think so much of why people do it is the anim- anonymity right and when you lose that, it's actually not fun. It's like, it's not, it takes apart so much of the pleasure. It's just gone. And so I I just also didn't like that. I didn't like getting recognized like in that moment. It just like wasn't my journey. But I really liked experiencing it. I thought it was fun and a thing to, a good thing to witness and all that stuff. Yeah. And you also have a segment in the book where you talk about, um, I almost called him Julian. You talk about Elliot going to the spa and how he's like, it's, there's a lot of difficulties there for Elliot with cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, well, that actually did happen to me. I tripped in a steam room and then a guy did jerk me off, which was sweet. <laughs> Yeah, that was sweet. That was We nice. love writers writing their authentic experiences. Yeah, I was like, this is perfection. I literally like a hand came out, a helping hand came out of the, you know, the billows of steam, couldn't make out his face. He helped me up. He asked me if I was okay. And then he jerked me off. And I'm like, this is, and it was honestly, it was on both our ends. I think so dispassionate. It was like, so it was like truly like ordering a coffee. It was like, there was no feeling it was clocking into work, but it was great. And again, like, I just love being gay. It's L O L. Uh, so I have this chapter of the book that I wanted to read. I really love this book. I don't think I've mentioned that yet. I truly love just by looking at him. It's such an entertaining read. Ryan's writing style, your writing style is so like fun and funny and witty and it's it's fast paced. It's really vulnerable and very specific. And I felt very connected to the character to the oh. point that like it. I, I, it's nice to hear that like so much of this was kind of built from your own experiences because it felt like it was. It's like, I feel like this is, this character is Ryan. <laughs> well, it's, 
it's funny because like the actual story is pretty fictional. Like I've never burned down my loving relationship for a sex worker. Like oh that's never happened. Like I that you know, life is long, you never know. But um, that was all <laughs> and uh, but but I think emotionally it was it's very autobiographical. Like the things that Elliot is feeling, his inner monologue, that is stuff I feel very, very connected to. I love that. And and also congrats on again on like getting sober without burning down your life, without losing your boyfriend and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Possible. Who knew? So uh the book will have uh like these periodic chapters where it's almost like Elliot's just kind of like checking in with us on I a random big picture thought of his and it's really less about the plot and more about like here's kind of my overall big thoughts on this and it's it's always related it always feeds into the story and I really like them and so this is one that just feels really appropriate to this podcast it focuses more on the uh, disability aspect than the gay aspect but I I really really like it so it's chapter 46 which is like 46 pages in these are very short (laughs) chapters to be disabled is to understand at a base level that your existence your experiences do not matter your life isn't reflected in TV or movies. If it is, your options are an able-bodied savior, the upside, or a tragic suicide, me before you, or an actor done in crip face that can win an award, Leonardo DiCaprio, what's eating Gilbert Grape. It almost worked. We're given these slots to exist, and then able-bodied people get to feel proud of themselves, even though they've given us no meaningful advancement. In fact, all they did was make money off our trauma. But sure, clap, 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 pat, pat, pat. I don't see myself on screens, and I also don't see other disabled people around me in real life. I used to think that was fine, but not anymore. You can't measure the psychic toll exacted on someone when they've never interacted with a single person who looks and acts like them. Why don't people care about disabled people? How am I supposed to care about myself when no one else does? The conversations around race and gender identity and sexism have deepened over the years. We are nowhere near where we need to be, but measurable progress has been made in certain areas. Donations pledged, petitions signed, protest signs made, jobs given, message received. We must continue to do better, but I'm sitting here waiting for that conversation to happen around disability. I'm waiting for able-bodied people to be like, oops, babe, we fucked this one up, didn't we? And feature us on magazines covers and give us ramps and meaningful employment and pass real legislation. It's wild to be ignored in a culture that currently has such a hard-on against injustice. When the fuck will it be our turn? Which Kardashian do I need to throw down the stairs and paralyze to get a disabled person on the cover of Vanity Fair? It's true. Which one? Because I'm ready. (laughs) I love that line so much. I truly laughed out loud. I was reading this in my office and I like laughed out loud in the middle of work. So this is so funny. It's so funny. Like, yeah, there are these moments where they are kind of like big check-ins. I just truly think it's how I wrote it where it was like the the thousand words a day like like sometimes I just wasn't in the mood honestly you know what that is sometimes it was like I wasn't in the mood to figure out plot so I was like let's just do a check-in and like let's have an overall vibe check and like let's go deeper here because also like in the other chapters so much is dedicated to plot that like I feel like sometimes you just need a breather you know what I mean? You need to like yeah. cleanse the palette. And I also just feel like it was a good vibe. Like I just, I like ri- the rhythms felt correct. I feel like when I write, I'm so attuned to rhythms and it just felt like, it's like hearing a song or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it works so well for it. And I think that's also just like a good technique in general of like, it's so good to have the specifics because you have so much specificity and you do the specifics so well. So it is really great to have these moments of like, big picture, what's his mind like? Yeah. I love it. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. But I also really love the message because it's, you know, a big part of this podcast is we talk about representation and what we want and why it matters and how it's important. And so like, this is, I I feel like such a strong and passionate argument for more representation. You literally say when you don't have it, it's the world, it feels like the world is telling you, you do not matter. We 
do not care if you're here. Right. Like, and which is terrible. And it's terrible that that's the message you're getting. And yeah. it's amazing that you're doing stuff to combat that and like being part of the solution. It's, oh, it's fantastic. Well, I feel like what drives me to make a lot of the things I make, it's sort of all for younger me. It really is. It's all so younger me can have a less hard time existing. Like if I had special growing up, if I had this book growing up, there's no saying like how much my life could have been changed. Do you know what I mean? Because like, I mean, I'm going to talk about the original Queer Folk for a second. So like Queer Folk was my first sneak peek into queer life. I think for a lot of millennials, it was. And I and I watched the US version when I was 12 years old, going to Blockbuster incognito, telling my mom I was watching it for the storylines, LOL. <laughs> and, you know, I watched it, obviously was really into the sex scenes, you know, jerked off till my dick was raw, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but once the cum few lift it was like, oh, there's no one here that looks like me, that sounds like me, that moves like me. I think being gay is going to be a tough, tough journey for me. I don't know how I'm going to navigate that as a disabled person. Now, that's not like me holding the U.S. version a task. Like what the U.S. version did in 1999 was truly groundbreaking. And like, I don't fault them for like, how dare they not include disabled gay people? Like, are you kidding me, honey? Like, no. I really you got an F minus on the disabled test. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, not fucking cool, you guys. What the fuck? Um, no, like, but I did internalize my absence. I did internalize like that there really was no one that I could see myself in. And it really did a number on me. It just did. It made me have a very complicated relationship to being gay. I I, I didn't like being gay. In fact, my first thing I ever did was after college, I did have a Twitter account that was called Being Gay is Gay, where I just like talked about how much I hated it. And granted, that was a lot of internal homophobia. That was me having not found the right gay friends. Oh my God, I feel so bad. Like when I was like 25, I would just like cobble together random gays for my life. And I would like have us all have nights out, even though they like didn't know each other. And I'd be like, yes, like girls night. And they'd be like, who is this person again? I was so desperate for kind of a queer family. Like I was so desperate for gay people. You have no idea. Now I have it. And now it's so funny. Like my boyfriend and I just went on vacation to Italy and like Italy is amazing. Like recommend it, but it's not very gay. And like we went to like one place that was really not gay for like four days. And I told my boyfriend, I was like, I feel like physically ill if I go like three days without interacting with a gay, like a gay person. Like I don't, like I, like I need it. Like it's sustenance. I need to survive. And I, it's kind of mind blowing. And I didn't really even realize it until it was taken away from me. I mean, my life has changed forever. Once I found like a good, good group of gay friends and yeah. we go on vacation together and it, it, it's it been like the greatest gift, I think, of my 30s is landing in a place where I'm like, okay, I have like chosen family vibes. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I, a 20 something year old me would be so pleased. So yeah, I think I'm just really driven to make work that would have made life an easier time for, you know, 15 year old me for even 25 year old me you know what I mean yeah I want to share a story uh that this weekend I was at a circuit party and okay. wow. were... <laughs> girl you just talked about going to Italy don't okay wow me I love no we love a circuit, we love a circuit. go ahead uh but yeah there was this dude who um had like they weren't quite crutches but there were certainly some sort of like walking assistance thing mm -hmm. and the cool thing was like it felt so normalized after watching watching Queer as Foot reboot. I was like, oh, this is cool. I feel like I'm a ghost bag. Like, let's go. I love. See, you really have a reference point for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, it's normalized. Like,
like like when I came out of the closet in 2004, it was actually a very smooth ride. I was very lucky. My family didn't care. But also I had like Will and Grace to turn to. I had like, I mean, there wasn't much, but like, like Will and Grace had entered the chat and it was like, oh, it's like Jack or it's like Will. Like, it's like literally like that helped tremendously. Whereas like people always lull because like the character of Ryan, I got hit by a car when I was 20. And then I just decided to live life as an accident victim when I was living in New York. And I didn't talk about my CP with anyone. And people were so, are so flabbergasted. They're like, wait, so you didn't have a hard time coming out gay, but you had a worse time coming out disabled. And I'm like, yes, because there's no point of fucking reference for disabled. Like there's, it just hasn't entered the zeitgeist the way that being gay has. Like people don't know what it means to be disabled. People are still scared about it. There's a lot of questions around it. And with great gayness, there really isn't. And I think that's made, you know, and that all is tied to representation, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. And it's also, it's for, oh, wait, this is what I wanted to ask. So I have a uh, TikTok series predicting whether there was enough uh, gay men in the writer's room based on Viable Loan. And I did one recently and someone commented, uh, do queer as folk reboot. I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally talking with Ryan this week. So Ryan, yeah. were there gay men in the writer's room? Um, It's going to be very, very hard to believe, but you have to believe me when I say, yes, they're actors. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, it was an all queer writer's room. Our writer's assistant, Alyssa, who co-wrote episode four with me, had to come out as straight. And it was really, it was really stressful for her. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I felt a tinge of judgment. I, you know, but we all supported her. We held space for her heterosexuality and it was a beautiful coming out. It really was. Love is love. Honestly, love the straightest love. writer's room I ever wrote in was Will and Grace. So you can unpack that however you want. That's the straightest writer's room you ever wrote in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is that is juicy. But across the board for Queer as Fuck Reboot, it seems like you guys have representation not just in gayness, but in trans representation. Yes. You had in the writer's room too. Like yeah. uh, obviously you had this uh disabled representation. And then it also sounds like arguably the most important one to get right in this story is survivors representation, or at least people who knew survivors. And you said that the creator of the show was actually directly connected with survivors of shootings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, it was a it was a wildly diverse writer's room. I, I call it the at 100 of writer's rooms because it was like Roxane Gay, Punky Johnson, Brontes Purnell, me, Jacqueline Moore, who's uh, co-EP and she's so brilliant and she really is responsible for the character of Ruthie. Like, yeah, it was, it was a really, really, really amazing experience. It was a very, very, very queer room and it was, it was really great. I just, uh, yeah, I don't want to hang out with straight people if I can avoid it. So... Oh, <laughs> you actually have a really great relationship with your dad or Elliot has a really great relationship with his yeah. dad. And yeah. it's like, I feel like it's a really nice portrayal of a gay man. Happy. Cause I feel like it's important to normalize that too. Like gay people getting along with straight people. Yeah. Obviously, like you don't, mess, you don't want to like dip into like straight savior complex where it's like every story has to have a, a straight guy that saves the day or anything like that. But it is nice to showcase positive relationships with straight men. Yeah. And that's kind of my dad. My dad is basically a lesbian. My dad literally made me go to Love Fair with him when I was 11. Like, my dad is obsessed with Natalie Merchant, Sheryl Crow. Like, he only listens to, like, female singer-songwriters, like Alanis Morissette. Like, he's not toxic mask. I mean, he has a little bit of it, TBH. Like, he does like to, like, explain things to me. But overall, he's, like, benign and, like, he's a, like, gentle, sweetie angel. Like, and coming out to him was MBD actually like when Elliot was like I came to him and asked do I have to 
to wear condoms that actually happened to me like I was fucking my boyfriend in high school and I was like we like used a condom once and I was like not for me and um I came to my dad and I was like is it problematic not problematic because it was 2004 we didn't even know what that word was uh but I'm like is it is it like an issue if I'm not using condoms like because we're both virgins so like it's gonna be fine He's like, look, this is like the one time you cannot use condoms, but you should wear them because it promotes good behavior and like, da, 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 da. but like if you, yes, you technically can. So I was like, chic. And then we didn't wear condoms. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt very, very lucky to have a dad that I could just ask that and not feel judged. Uh, just going back to the writer's room, it's really, I'm very curious because you the episodes are so divided. So you were episode four and episode seven. But I imagine, did you also have a part in like deciding the greater arc of this? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Did- yeah. No, as a writer's room, you arc it out like all together. And then, like, I would do passes on episodes. Like, I would do joke passes and stuff like that. So, like, you know, I like to think, like, my fingerprints are on every episode, some more than others. But it really is a collective experience. It's very, very collaborative. Like, you as a room go over the whole arc and like you break it together yeah is this one of the most collaborative it was it was great i mean it was steven's you know baby but steven was also very very open to for whatever that's that was the most strange thing for me was like steven hired me and he really like let me do my thing like he hired me for my voice for my sensibility for my humor and he really wanted that in the in the show and so I felt very, very supported by him. It's like not always that way. Sometimes showrunners can be kind of egomaniacs and like feel very territorial and like- Like Ethan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Ethan, for real. And like, if they didn't come up with an idea, sometimes like if people don't like, if they haven't come up with the idea, they don't like it, which is so dark and insane. Oh my God. But Steven was not like that at all. So I felt- it was honestly great, especially coming from special where I was the showrunner and it was my baby. And like, it was an amazing experience, but it was also so intense and so much work. It was so nice to be able to come into this room and really feel like I had a say. And I like, like I, my input was really valued, but also I wasn't the showrunner. So I got to like, you know, go home at the end of the day and like not really think about it and have like a little bit of a life. And it was like the perfect amount of responsibility. And I, I loved it. That's amazing. And especially important too, like, having representation in the writer's room doesn't count for shit if you're not listening to your writers so oh my god and by the way that happens a lot too in rooms like we're like like oh dish dish give the tea <laughs> no but, but but i mean just like like you know like they're like oh well okay we have that person so like we're good but they don't actually listen to that person it's like they almost like bought woke insurance you know what i mean oh my god yeah yeah uh going back to ethan so ethan is your horrible boss that yeah. you have a complicated relationship in with in just by looking at him and uh there's also jc Uh, Benny Skinner yeah Benny yeah so good yeah great actor obviously but also just like what's really cool is like there's actually not that many gay villains um openly gay you know there's tons of queer coded ones but it's like I don't care about the subtext give me the text baby and it's like obviously I feel like straight people might be afraid to write a gay villain at this point because it's like oh we have to show everyone in a positive light but it like really reduces the complexity of the stories you can tell or like the types of characters you can showcase if you don't include that so it's it's really cool and it also helps i feel like give the story of like a a realistic like we're not just here to say gay people are perfect and stuff it's like no gay people can be awful as well yeah exactly i mean like the jcj character might at first glance seem kind of broad but like 
I feel like I've seen those opportunistic influencers on Instagram, like co-opt some sort of trauma as like a way to drive clicks through their content. It's so dark. Yeah. And by the way, that's just like all of us, like under the thumb of capitalism. And like, it's, it's everyone's commodifying their identity and their marginalization in a way that is so dark, but. That's what we're doing on this podcast, baby. Follow Rainbow Room for more. (laughs) I know, right? I'm like, anyways, you can find my gay disabled intersectional ass at Brian Ocon on Instagram. Um, (laughs) No, but I mean, like, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like the the intention, you know what I mean? The, The purity of spirit. Like there are some people I think where it really is sort of this kind of Machiavellian kind of like methodical chess move of like, okay, how can I use my marginalization or my identity to kind of curry favor to get likes or this or that? I mean, I don't know, maybe I am being too like not generous or something, but I just, I feel like Instagram has made me like lose faith in humanity a little bit. And yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) The fact that there is representation, I feel like very much reads on screen. I think it's a really cool choice to bleep the dead name yeah absolutely yeah i never even thought of that and it like the fact that that's done i feel like makes it so much more impactful when it's used like as a dead name it's like ooh, you feel it like yeah that's the brainchild of jacqueline moore i mean i think that's just also proof that like if you get someone who's had that lived experience it makes the character that much more interesting and richly drawn yeah definitely it's mm. oh this is just kind of a curious question i had so there's kind of this dichotomy between like writing like this is how we would wish it was versus the actual reality and obviously the pros and cons of like the Ryan Murphy Hollywood effect on Netflix yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh, in your writing do you have like positive experiences with sex etc and it's not my experience as a disabled I'm not a disabled person right so I was just curious is this like well you did come out as a TikToker which is its own disability ah bitch drag me get her (laughs) (laughs) please follow me I'm at Andrew Stire on fire, S-T-I-E-R. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily think about things in terms of like it being wishful men. I just think I just try to write things that feel as real as possible. And like, I do think there is an undercurrent of optimism in my work because that's just who I am as a person. But I think generally, I just try to write things that are feel very honest and very true to my experience. You know what I mean? I don't try to create a utopia, but I'm also not a nihilistic person in general. So I feel like, you know, that's sort of just a reflection of my own tone as a person. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. And it's actually really nice to hear because it means that like um, a disabled person watching your work or reading your work can know that it's like, oh, this isn't a pipe dream. Like this is like authentic experiences that people have had and like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's now a point of reference and I think like that's that's the most meaningful thing is that like someone can now look to my work and be like okay this has been done in some iteration so like we know it can be done and so that's great and I think that's the thing that brings me the most joy is that there's now something 2.2 yeah for sure I'm trying not to spoil stuff but there is like so much in your book that I want to talk about here's what I can say the end of the book involves romance involves love and I feel like it talks about it in a way that's like very wholesome and just like true and and like really hits at the heart. And one thing that we've kind of noticed, I feel like is a lot of work written by gay men isn't. It, it's more like witty or like kind of like doesn't, it's almost like we're afraid to talk and be vulnerable vulnerable about love. Mm-hmm. And so it's really beautiful to watch you go there and kind of,
kind of like give us this intimate lo- moment of like really feeling emotions for someone. Uh, yeah. And the way you talk about like remind being reminded of a high school crush, it's like so sweet. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know, as inspired I am by sex, I'm also inspired by love. And I think you know, it's one thing to say you want to fuck another man; it's another to say that you're giving yourself permission to be loved by another man. They're two different things. And a lot of people can just exist on the first part without ever getting to the second part because of homophobia or whatever. So it was important to me because it it is such a dark story in so many ways and it's such a self-sabotage journey and Elliot really goes through the emotional ringer. It it was important to me that there is this sort of beacon of hope a little bit. And also like, I also just loved ending it in a way that could feel like a beginning. You know what I mean? I I didn't want to get like give it some kind of pat ending. I wanted it to feel like this could be the start of something completely different and completely new. Yeah. Also like, it's so funny. I don't see it as dark. I guess he goes through a lot of dark stuff, but the whole book is a journey of him improving himself. Well, sort of. He he does eventually. <laughs> but, yeah, well, no, that that's the whole, yeah. right, right? If he did it yeah. on chapter 20, like, we wouldn't care, right? That's the whole... <laughs> right, yeah. But that's why it's wild that you don't have an outline for this, because the story structure of this book is so good. It's like, I had to, like, wait to get to the end to pass judgment, because I was like, oh, let's see, see how this all works out, but I'm like, I love the story structure of this book. It's everything I look for. It's also, like, really cool because what it all boils down to is Elliot has an avoidance problem. Yeah. He avoids his feelings and he doesn't want to feel them. He avoids his problems and he doesn't want to process them. And we kind of see some of those same character element in characters in Queer's Folk Reboot. It's probably one that a lot of us deal with and it sounds like one you've probably dealt with yourself. Your, I shouldn't put that on you. What am I saying? <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's all, I mean, I think self-loathing can exist in people in many iterations. I'm fascinated by people who in some facets of their personality are extremely confident, extremely self-possessed. And then in other areas, it's like systemic rot. You know what I mean? And it's sort of, it's so interesting that the duality to me is fascinating. Like sometimes one feeds the other, right? Kind of like people get so shallow and make sure they look great because they're dealing with so much like, yeah, self-hate and need need for validation. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, it affects everybody. And it's also really cool that your story, like the happy ending of your story that you were able to go sober like matches kind of what happens in this book i'm giving away some spoilers i'm sorry no no (laughs) it it did feel kind of again it felt very witchy it felt like i was like sort of you know and and i had to go through sometimes elliot experienced things before i did you know what i mean like it was sort of like he was outgrowing me he was growing faster than i could you know like (laughs) like which i thought was really interesting too so yeah you wrote your own mentor to look up to (laughs) i know i know i wonder when i'll stop using writing is absolute therapy all the time and just like create a show on ABC and make <laughs> tons of money. <laughs> oh my God, do it. I do want to ask you like what your next plans, what are your future plans? Well, it really is the movie, the, the movie version of Just By Looking At Him. So, you know, we're, we're working on that and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we're going to be shooting it sooner rather than later. So Also, I apologize. I guess I didn't stock you well enough. Was that announced? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, but we're allowed to talk about it here? I mean, who cares? I've been working on it for like a year. Yes, let's break the story, bitch. I mean, it, I think I think it was like buried in like a deadline announcement for something else or something. But well, now uh, it's buried in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's been great. It's been real. I mean, it was weird because we sold the film rights at the same time as the book. So I was working on the book simultaneously while writing the movie version of the book, which was really weird. I do not recommend. But once I finished the book and was able to just exist with the movie, it got a lot easier. Well, if you're ever looking for gay boys to cast, ah. 
<laughs> oh my god wow oh my god love yeah a lot of gay guys in it so maybe yeah yeah i will uh i'll work on my reel or whatever but no send, that's send me your tiktok so i can figure out how to watch it drag me <laughs> andrew you can't want it too bad remember that's the whole thing don't want it too badly yeah babe you should be like wow that's like sad that anyone would want to be in that movie <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll be the star <laughs> yeah totally we'll be playing the disabled character <laughs> and then in interviews well no i am disabled i have a tiktok <laughs> <laughs> ryan said it's okay <laughs> ryan said it was okay because i have a tiktok so he he said that i understand the disabled experience <laughs> i just have to nag him so hard i'd be like oh you, you guys are making into a movie that's so sad what happened <laughs> yeah exactly it's very bad you got desperate. No, um, no, that's that's so amazing. I am so excited to like see that. That's it. And you're like already written the script. Yeah. yeah. Ah! So yeah. That's so cool. we'll see. I mean, it's these things are never for movies, especially. Like, I never want to like say too much until it's like literally filming because it could all fall apart, and maybe it will. But it feels very real, like more so than usual. So. We'll see. It better happen. That's amazing. We'll see. Uh, so I wanted to ask you two things. The first is, as someone who has gone sober, you know, hopefully your book reaches people who are on their own journey with this because it's, I feel like, a really powerful kind of memoir of like going through that experience of overcoming addiction. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for people who might be dealing with that? Um, that there are a variety of ways to get sober. It's not always about twelve step and A, which is incredible. And twelve step and A has saved a lot of my friends' lives. So I do not want to knock it, but like I personally went to 12-step AA and it just didn't resonate with me. And honestly, that made me feel defective and it made me feel like there was no path to sobriety for me because I didn't latch onto the program. And I read This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, which I mentioned in the book, and it just broke down alcohol in such a facts-driven way. And I just, it really clicked. It just clicked. It really broke it down in a way that just immediately like solidified in my brain. And I read it and I never drank again. And by the way, like you don't have to read it to get sober like my boyfriend for example read it he still drinks but he's much much more mindful about how he drinks like it completely changed his relationship to alcohol again like he'll go out he'll still drink but like his relationship to alcohol has fundamentally changed since reading the book so it's not even like people who are wanting to necessarily go sober it's like people i i just it's people that want to examine their relationship to alcohol and improve it basically because i think like also like we just it's so in our dna to drink like that we don't even think about it and it's that not thinking about it that i think gets people into trouble you know what i mean yeah thank you so much for sharing that's that's incredible that's like also i feel like can be really important advice for anyone who's had that same experience of like trying those programs and being like oh this isn't working so like amazing that like that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to do it yeah right. totally 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 yeah it, it, it takes <laughs> it takes all kinds <laughs> and then any parting words of advice for people uh that are gay want to break into the industry want to become writers or just like are writers already like any any advice you want to give for our, for our listeners out there you have to be confident i always say be like have the confidence of a mediocre straight white male it's working for them for god's sakes it's like a lot of this stuff is faking it till you make it it really really is and you know i've done a lot of things for the first time that i didn't think i could do i went from not acting to starring in a fucking tv show i'd never show ran before it's like you just have to sort of it sounds very corny but like you have to sort of believe in yourself and even if you don't really believe in yourself just like enough to get there and like i don't know it will but having that confidence i think i i think seeing 
people in the positions of power versus the people that are not where they want to be. I really do see this sort of, I, I see people paralyzed by self-doubt. And I think it really, it acts as sort of this black tar and it keeps them kind of stuck. You know what I mean? And so um, just be confident, baby. And even if it's not real, just pretend it is until it is. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that's such a good advice. Well, on that note, I need to double back on where I soft played the pitch to put me in your movie and say, I want it. <laughs> Oh my God. Wow. What a roller coaster. Okay. Jokes yeah. Aside. I, I met everyone except for you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you've done so much for us already just by being on this podcast. Like, this is true. Yeah, that's incredible. the title of the episode just by being on this podcast, just by looking at it. Ah! <laughs> Wait, we didn't even ask you about the title. I should have asked you about that. Oh, I just, I mean, it's about how we perceive people and how we perceive ourselves. That's really what it's about. Work. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just that. MBD. Uh, (laughs) Normally at this time, we ask our guests if they have anything they'd like to promote. I I assume that you want to promote. I think you guys got it cover. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's it's pretty clear. (laughs) Eric, any parting words from you? Um, I just want to... I'm going back to what you were saying about in regards to like having no regrets at all. And I just thought it was funny how you were like, if I had had to choose one regret, it would be like, go back to 20 or like 24 year old you and get a dick in your butt. But then you proceed to go on and talk about like how in your thirties, you're having such a like lovely sex life. And you kind of talked yourself down from that ledge and you've just continued to be unabashedly yourself and you're showcasing growing through life and like the things that you've learned. And you're giving such a voice, not only to like the disabled community, but to just anyone, anywhere, in general who listens who is wanting to grow and learn like as a human being like it goes so deep into like the self-care like aspect not just like the disabled community so much more than that which is like you you speak for all people which is amazing and i really admire that and i love how you like are dipping your toe in every uh box like you are going writer acting you you say you don't do improv and stand up, but you're a comedian. You've been making us laugh this entire time. Like you just are moving to the rhythm of your own drum and you're doing things like on your own terms. And that's really awesome. Oh, thank you. Just keep going. <laughs> thank you. I will, as long as they let me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> they better. Like, yeah, I want I want to see more of your stuff too. Like, oh man, reading this book is like truly, I fell in love with your writing style so much. I oh, thank you. I, yeah, I need to read more from you for sure. And yeah. I guess to, to give my final thoughts, I think what you're doing is incredible. I, I think the way you think about representation and walk the walk and the way that you are not just complaining about problems, but actually like working to increase representation, both for gay people and disabled people is amazing. And for hot people. And Thank you. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the real crusade. That's the real hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> Um, also, it, it is really interesting because, like, there is a lot of media where the gay person is the outsider and it's like their experience in a community of straight people. And what you kind of do with these books is like by making it them so gay, it's kind of like gay is the new baseline. For so many people, it is. It's like that is the normal. And so you get to talk about what it feels like to be in, from an outsider of that group yeah. um, with like everything that you deal, deal with with CP. So it's like it's such a really interesting message, especially like as a gay person, like anyone who's felt like an outsider ever can yeah. relate. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that means a lot because I think people might think, oh, gay disabled, that's very fringe. There's nothing I can see myself in that and it's like well first of all as a gay disabled person i've had to see myself in things that don't look like me forever so trust me it's possible 
you know, but the whole idea is like, it really is about exploring the human, like the universal human threads, like about how really when you strip us all down to our basic wants and needs, the commonalities are striking. And I feel like that's what I try to do. And I think you do it extremely well. But with lots of rim jobs, you know? <laughs> and on that note, I think we're going to say goodbye to y'all today. Thank you so, so much, Ryan, for being on our podcast. Seriously, this has meant the world to us. You are a champion and amazing, and we love you so much. Oh, thank, thank you, you for Ryan. Great. And thank you to our listeners for listening. And until season two, uh, we will see you one day in the future. We love you, audience members. Bye. Bye. Bye.